Hi, it's Diane, and I'm here to read you to sleep. Tonight I'll be reading from More Fables by George Aid, 1900. The Fable of What Happened the Night the Men Came to the Woman's Club in a progressive little city claiming about twice the population that the census enumerators could uncover there was a literary club it was one of these clubs guaranteed to fix you out with culture while you wait two or three matrons who were too heavy for light amusements but not old enough to remain home and knit organized the club nearly every woman in town rushed to get in for fear somebody would say she hadn't been asked. The club used to round up once a week at the homes of members. There would be a paper, followed by a discussion, after which somebody would pour. The organization seemed to be a winner. One thing the lady clubbers were dead set on. They were going to have harmony with an uppercase H, they were out to cut a seven-foot swath through English literature from Beowulf to Bangs, inclusive, and no petty jealousies or bickerings would stand in the way. So while they were at the club, they would pull kittenish smiles at each other and applaud so as not to split the gloves. Sometimes they would kiss, too, but they always kept their fingers crossed. Of course, when they got off in twos and threes, they would pull the little meat axes out of the reticules and hack a few monograms, but that was to have been expected. Everything considered, the club was a tremendous go. At each session, the lady president would announce the subject for the next meeting. For instance, she would say that next week they would take up Wycliffe, then everyone would romp home to look in the Encyclopedia of Authors and find out who in the world Wycliffe was. On the following Thursday, they would have Wycliffe down pat and be primed for a discussion. They would talk about Wycliffe as if he had been down to the house for tea every evening that week. After the club had been running for six months, it was beginning to be strong on quotations and dates. The members knew that Mrs. Browning was the wife of Mr. Browning, that Milton had trouble with his eyes, that Lord Byron wasn't all that he should have been, to say the least. They began to feel their intellectual oats. In the meantime, the jeweler's wife had designed a club badge. The club was doing such notable work that some of the members thought they ought to have a special meeting and invite the men. They wanted to put the cap sheaf on the profitable season and at the same time hand the merited rebuke to some of the husbands and brothers who had been making funny cracks. It was decided to give the star program at the Beetle home, and after the papers had been read, then all the men and five women who did not hold office, could file through the front room and shake hands with the president, the vice president, the recording secretary, the corresponding secretary, the treasurer, and all the members of the various committees, 
all of whom were to line up and receive. The reason the club decided to have the brain barbecue at the Beetle home was that the Beetles had such a beautiful big rooms and double doors. There was more or less quite harpoon work when the announcement was made. Several of the elderly ones said that Josephine Beetle was not a representative member of the club. She was fair to look upon, but she was not pulling very hard for the uplifting of the sex. It was suspected that she came to the meetings just to kill time and see what the others were wearing. She refused to buckle down to literary work, for she was a good deal more interested in the bachelors who filled the windows of the new men's club than she was in the butler who wrote Hudibras. So why should she have the honor of entertaining the club at the annual meeting? Unfortunately, the members who had their most doing under their bonnets were not the ones who could come to the front with the large rooms that could be thrown together. So the Beetle Home got the great event. The Men Everyone in town who carried a pound of social influence showed up in his or her other clothes. Extra chairs had to be brought in, and what with the smilax and club colors, it was a very swell, and the maiden in the lace mitts, who was going to write about it for the weekly, threw a couple of spasms. The men were led in pulling at the halters, and with their ears laid back. After they got into the dressing room, they stuck there until they had to be shooed out. They did not know what they were going against, but they had their suspicions. They managed to get rear seats or stand along the wall so that they could execute the quiet sneak if things got too literary. The women were too flushed and proud to notice. At 8.30 p.m., the lady president stood out and began to read a few pink thoughts on women's destiny, why not? Along toward 9.15, about the time the lady president was beginning to show up good and earnest, Josephine Beadle, who was circulating around on the outskirts of the throng to make sure that everybody was happy, made a discovery. She noticed that the men standing along the wall and in the doorways were not more than sixty percent in rapport with the long piece about women's destiny. Now Josephine was right there to see that everybody had a nice time, and she did not like to see the prominent businessmen of the town dying of thirst or leg cramp or anything like that. So she gave two or three of them the quiet wink, and they tiptoed after her out to the dining room where she offered refreshments and said they could slip out on the side porch and smoke if they wanted to. Probably they preferred to go back in the front room and hear some more about women's destiny, not. As soon as they could master their emotions and get control of their voices, they told Josephine what they thought of her. They said she made the Good Samaritan look like a cheap criminal, and if she would only say the word, they would begin to put ground glass into the food at home. Then Josephine called them boys, which probably does not make a hit 
with one who was on the sloping side of forty-eight. More of the men seemed to awake to the fact that they were overlooking something, so they came on the velvet foot back to the dining room and declared themselves in and flocked around Josephine and called her Josie and Joe. They didn't care. They were having a pleasant visit. Josephine gave them allopathic slugs of the size that they feed you in the Navy and then lower you into the dinghy and send you ashore. Then she let them go out on the porch to smoke. By the time the lady president came to the last page, there were only two men left in the front room. One was asleep and the other was penned in. The women were huffy. They went out to make the men come in and found them bunched on the porch, listening to a story that a traveling man had just brought to town that day. Now the plan was that during the reception, the company would stand about in little groups and ask each other what books they liked and make it something on the order of the salon. This plan miscarried because all the men wanted to hear ragtime played by Josephine, the lifesaver. Josephine had to yield, and the men all clustered around her to give their moral support. After one or two selections, they felt sufficiently keyed to begin to hit up those slow-down songs about baby and chickens and razors. No one paid any attention to the lady president, who was off in a corner holding an indignation meeting with the secretary and the vice president. When the women began to sort out the men and order them to start home, and all the officers of the club were giving Josephine the frosty good night, anyone could see that there was trouble ahead. Next day, the club held a special session and expelled Josephine for conduct unbecoming a member, and Josephine sent word to them as follows Rats. Then the men quietly got together and bought Josephine about a thousand dollars worth of American beauty roses to show that they were with her, and then homes began to break up, and somebody started the report that anyway it was the lady president's fault for having such a long and pokey essay that wasn't hers at all, but had been copied out of a club paper published in Detroit. Before the next meeting, there were two factions. The lady president had gone to a rest cure, and the meeting resolved itself into a good cry and a general smash-up. Moral. The only literary men are those who have to work at it. Sleep well, my friend.